0: Welcome to the Quantum Biology Collective podcast, where we break down the practical strategies of this emerging science, starting with healthy light habits and going wherever the quantum superhighway takes us. This is your host, executive and life coach, Meredith Oak, with a quick announcement. If you're a practitioner, that means you work with clients or patients in any capacity in the health and wellness space, please take note the applied quantum biology certification closes November 30th. The doors are closing and they will not be open again until spring 2024 at the earliest. If you're at all drawn to this material, you do not want to miss this opportunity. We go deep into the science with clinically experienced teachers, as well as a community of people who are all doing the same thing. It is incredible. Go to AppliedQuantumBiology.com to register. The link is in the show notes. Don't miss it. Once we understand the importance of circadian rhythms and how having a regulated circadian rhythm is so important to every aspect of health, from our sleep to our digestion to our moods, our hormones, our neurotransmitters, all of it. The next question people often ask is, well, what about the kids, particularly the teenagers who are doing their homework and socializing and spending so much time on screens, particularly in the evening hours? Well, our next guest not only wondered about this, he set up a foundation called the Sleep Better, Live Better Foundation, and he set up a study with his local Department of Education to find out what would happen if you gave blue blocking glasses to students to use three hours before bedtime instead of. Just the pure screens in their eyes. And they tracked everything um, that they could. This is a huge undertaking to do with families and schools and coordinating all of it and getting all of the data in. Um, but they were able to find some statistically relevant results. And Daniel is here today to share those with us. And this is really exciting and really important because nobody is doing this kind of research, right? There, there are no institutions. Daniel had some figures from some very well-known brand name schools in the background supporting him and guiding him, but there was nobody from uh, quote-unquote official place that wanted to put their name on this. but Daniel found a way to do it, and we would love to support research like this in the future. So please listen to this podcast and check out all his links uh, in the show notes at the end and do whatever you can to support this important work. And if you have a teenager, you're going to get him a pair of blue blockers. Enjoy. Hi, Daniel White. Welcome to the Quantum Biology Collective podcast. It's a pleasure to have you here.
1: Hello, Meredith. Great to be here. Thank you very much.
0: Okay. So Daniel is a health coach, quantum health coach, um, and also the founder of the Sleep Better, Live Better Foundation, um, which he set up to help school-age children get better sleep. Because if you listen to this podcast, you know how important that is. So Daniel, that I understand that you weren't always, you didn't sort of come, you came to the health coaching field a little bit later. How did you get here? And how did you get to this quantum biology blue light blocking world as well? Cause it's, it's a small little section of the
1: world. It is a small little section. And let me try and make this story as concise as possible. I think I get better at telling it every time. Um, So I was not the poster child for good sleep. Um, You know, I've just turned 30 years old. And from the age of about 13 to the age of about 17, um, I was the only child that I knew that was as deeply addicted to screens and video gaming um, as, you know, anyone else. So we're going Uh back to, you know, before... The first iphone you know i was playing my computer all night playing my game boys all of these sorts of things watching television late into the night and you know throughout my teenage years i suffered a malady of issues um, anxiety depression um, i was extremely overweight i slept terribly uh, obviously the knock-on impacts of that to my school um, performance my academic performance my relationships with family friends loved ones and um, you know everything and uh i suppose when I hit about 17 or 18, um, you know, went to the, the UK equivalent of high school, um, started to want to make changes to improve my health and went down a very conventional route of, you know, uh, count every calorie in the fridge and move more and eat less. And, um, that got me into some, some challenges with my mental health around, um, addictions to kind of health behaviors and things like that. Um, you know, spending a lot of time still in in gyms, artificial lighting everywhere, um, indoors all of the time, barely spending any time outdoors, working away, um, doing a degree in psychology at the time. Um, I actually stumbled across uh, one of the books that first started to kind of change me. I wasn't aware of, of quantum health and quantum biology or even, you know, uh, the science of light exposure at all. But I read um, something called the, the Primal Blueprint, which was by a guy called Mark mm-hmm. Sisson and he was talking mm-hmm. about like um, an evolutionary and ancestral approach to diet and movement and you know spending more time outdoors exercising outdoors eating more uh, variety in our diets kind of the the early paleo kind of primal movement and i guess i fell into that camp um went back to university studied a, a masters in nutrition um nutritional neuroscience so I began to learn more about you know the wondrous impacts of nutrition on you know um our physiology and our biology and things like that um subsequently after that went into functional medicine, which felt like an even newer closets in that I'd opened and, you know, oh, stress and, um, looking at, you know, breathing and looking at community and looking at, um, you know, my spiritual health and my meaning and my purpose. And, you know, so many, um, new avenues to healing continued to open up for me as I went down that path. And then around about five or six years ago, um, I suffered a period of burnout, um, as a result of uh, a personal relationship breaking down and a, professional relationship breaking down. And I found myself really struggling to um, keep my what was a coaching business alive at that time. And uh, I was up all night, you know, working hard on my laptop, up in the morning early, burning the candle at both ends, and I just completely burnt out. And I actually came across a post by Nathan. Nathan Walls, Mm -hmm. and he was talking about like the impacts of um, exposure to to morning light and our circadian rhythms um, and blue light blocking glasses. And I think he'd quoted uh, Jack Cruz. And I was just I was thinking I was hoping for a miracle at that point and I saw these blue light blocking glasses and I was there like you know this, this makes a lot of sense so I ordered my first pair um, from RA Optics I think it was one of the only people that I could find them from back then got them shipped to the UK from the US and they, they were expensive right you know these things weren't accessible to everybody that I knew at home and um as anybody in this community might expect, I wore them for one night and, you know, I was never the same again. Um, I still used technology a bit too much and, you know, my uh, my routines still weren't ideal in the evenings, but I had this uh, safety mechanism. I had this low hanging fruit that I could now use and I instantly, you know, uh, noticed the impact it had on my mood, my energy, um, my appetite, you know, my clarity of thought, my cognition and all of these things. And so I really went, very deep down the rabbit hole of um, circadian health at the time. I wasn't as uh student in quantum biology at that point. Um, but my brain, you know, it zooms out, sees everything 30,000 feet up. And I started to think about, you know, the big implications of things like light exposure and the use of blue light blocking glasses in like uh, society and in communities. And just for a bit of context, um, I live in Guernsey in the Channel Islands, uh, which is Mm -hmm. just in between England and France, part of the United Kingdom, but we're not part of England. And, um, you know, we have a very small, tight-knit community here, maybe 50,000, 60,000 people. Um, And I started to ask questions about, you know, well, what if I could get these tools, blue light blocking glasses or, you know, uh, the light filtering software, Iris and all these different things that we use as quantum clinicians, what if I could get these into the hands of everyday people? And so time went by for a couple of years. I started delivering a lot of like sleep training through Sleep Better Live Better in, in the community and with organizations online all over the globe. And um, then one day I was going through a coaching program and the certification I was doing, they said to me, you know, you really need to understand like your origin story because to attract, you know, clients and to resonate with people, you need to be able to speak to the reasons that, you know, you've been on this journey yourself. And many times... Um, you know, a coach or anybody working in the the field of health will tend to find that they end up trying to, quote unquote, save the person that they once were. And so I stepped back thinking that I was, you know, this coach who was working with adults trying to help them sleep better and stuff like that. And, and I didn't get the memo at that point. And it wasn't until I had like this crazy dream, quite literally a dream that I was stood up on a television program. Uh, I know it was a dream because the program doesn't exist anymore. In the United Kingdom, it was like a breakfast show. And I was addressing like the nation and we were talking all about how we would provided these blue light blocking glasses and simple uh, like educational interventions to children in schools in the Channel Islands. Which is not just Guernsey, it's also another island called Jersey and that we'd seen like phenomenal uh, explosions in increases in mental health in academic attainment just, you know, across the board. Everything had changed for these kids as a result of this simple stuff. And obviously I wake up in the morning and I think, well, you know, these these glasses did this for me. These principles did that for me. Um, I'm going to have to do this thing. Um, And so that began about three years ago now, three and a half years ago, a journey which culminated in the registration of our charity, which is the Sleep Better Live Better Foundation so that I could fundraise to provide zero cost to consumer education and um, products and resources. And then um, also began... uh, a number of trials in local schools um which began with a, a self-funded trial where we provided uh, blue light blocking glasses to children in high school around age 15 or 16 a small sample of around 100 we got some phenomenal results and then um i wanted to do something bigger and more rigorous um so designed uh, what's called an open level wait list uh study where we recruited um somewhere between 300 and 500 students from the island we split them into different groups and in the different groups we provided them with different um tools or interventions uh we were supported by this i want to give a very very big shout out to uh, rudy and joy over at viva Rays, um, who your listeners may know i think they're, they're part of this community they provided us with the um the lens technology to conduct this study uh which is you know a phenomenal source of support and we split them into four groups because the, the first was they would receive blue light blocking glasses and were instructed to wear them for a few hours before bedtime. Um, the second group would receive the glasses with um, two simple education lessons, just teaching very simple circadian health and sleep principles, talking about um, our circadian rhythms, um, talking about light exposure in the morning and the evening, talking about um, food and nutrition timing, talking about the timing of caffeine. Um, a little bit on uh, breath awareness and helping people, children in particular, to downregulate and things like that. Um, so we have that combined group that got the education with the glasses. Um, we then got the third group, which is education only. And then the fourth group, which are on the waiting list. Um, so we just recently, uh, in January of this year, completed that study. And I actually just got the um, statistical analysis finished this morning before we jumped on this call. So it'd be interesting to talk about, I think. Oh, I think you might be on mute still. Can you hear me? Yeah.
0: So you started out as a child who was addicted to screens, playing video games. What would you say? How many hours per day would you say you were on video games when you were, say, I don't know, 15 years old?
1: Yeah it's interesting isn't it because um I do I do I credit the screens with the the you know the terrible sleep issues I had because of the bright mm-hmm. led lights and the amount of blue light that I was exposed to but obviously there was other elements going on like there was an addiction there was a need to escape from whatever I was facing as a teenager that led me into it in the in the first place um I reckon to begin with you know in secondary school it was maybe one or two or three hours a day and then it literally turned into eight hours, nine hours, 10 hours a day. Um, I dropped out of school um, when I was 15 years old. Um, I just decided I didn't want to go to the um, the kind of quite astute school that I was at. So I I went down to a state school and spent as much time kind of escaping from school as I possibly could to be in front of screens and, and things like that. And I think, one of the most interesting things for me in exploring that, um, you know, the irony as I come full circle now and I'm 30 years old and me and my friends sometimes occasionally play some of the old games that we used to play as teenagers, um, is that the the addiction isn't there because of my awareness and understanding of how to interact with technology and especially like light exposure from screens um, so that my brain, you know, my dopamine circuitry, um, my cortisol levels, they're not fried and through the roof and I'm not continually you know remaining addicted to the use of the technology but back when I was 15 to answer your question um it was a lot of time
0: right so I think that's really important because you have like a you have a lived experience of what it's like to be a teenager and you know be getting terrible sleep and be basically blue light toxic, I think we would, is the word we would use now on top of whatever else is going on that, that the mental stimulation and escapism of, of that video games produce. And I, you know, I also just want to say, because sometimes people listen to these podcasts and they think like, Oh, whoever's hosting the podcast does everything perfectly. We have, there is an Xbox in our home and my son (laughs) likes to play Fortnite with his friends. Um, and I, when the sun goes down, the blue blockers go on. Um, so there, there are limits, but I just want to say that to parents listening, like it's possible to do these things in it in a reasonable way. Okay. So you are now in a situation where you're, you have created a foundation that's able to help these, the children who are stuck in that situation. And I think what's interesting about the time we live in now is that you don't even need to be a video game addict to be blue light toxic, right? Like with the tab, with iPads and the phones and we're on laptops all day at school, like, uh, and our light bulbs have gotten so much worse um, as Daniel Levitt was explaining to me, right? Like, I think that so many of our children are suffering and they might not even have terrible video game habits. It's just... The the water that they're swimming
1: in. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that was one of the uh, most shocking and clearest things to me when I went into schools to provide the training and the education. You know, I was sat uh, in a school hall. I have um, about three hundred kids in front of me. Not all of them were participating in the study, but they were all receiving the education. And I had about twenty percent of them down one side of the hall that are asleep. And this is at like 11 o'clock in the morning. They're literally asleep while I'm talking. I've got 20% that look like they're kind of nodding off and they're just checking their mobile phones every few minutes. And then you've got about like, you know, the other 20% that are fully engaged. And when I started to like interview and speak to these teenagers, speak to parents and stuff like that, it's screen use is pervasive now in every single age group. But the thing is, you know, we have some level of responsibility to show up to work or to, you know, do things as adults that stops us from staying awake all night on these screens. Um, you know, back then for me it was an affiliation with video gaming, but now it's obviously you know TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, uh, social media apps of every kind you can imagine, as well as video games, as well as Xboxes, as well as computers, tablets, Netflix, and all of these things. And I don't think teenagers, you know, quite clearly, n- neuroscience will tell us this: they don't have the self-regulation that we do as adults. And I think you know other research is really clear that like the the iris is still developing in your youth you know as a child and your um you know your predisposition to be damaged by blue light and to have your circadian rhythms dysregulated at a time in your life cycle where there tends to be this phase shift towards a later sleep cycle from you know childhood into adolescence and the the circadian clock is said to shift and i think you know a, a large um impact on that is the you know, use screens and technology and things like that. And, and it's a byproduct of our modern society that kids, you know, are staying up far later than their parents are. Um, some of the children I was speaking to, you know, their average sleep time was two, three a.m. Every single night, and they're sleeping mm-hmm. with a mobile phone underneath their bed, their pillow. They're all chatting in Snapchat and WhatsApp groups, and you know the whole idea of like FOMO and you don't want to miss out. And, and mm-hmm. you know, I was deeply addicted to video gaming, and I, I probably still now there are there are probably few children who play video games as much as I did at that age. But now there is this yeah uh, wave of the majority of the youth. Um, consuming technology and using brightly lit artificial screens, and I think one of the most um, like heartfelt things I heard when I was giving the the training sessions is I went back in the second week and in the education only group, we had showed them how to. Um, Use a filter. I don't have my mobile phone with me now, but you guys might be aware of um your ability to filter the blue light coming from mobile phone screens, and you mm-hmm. can get various different apps and settings that can completely remove the blue light. And in the education only group, a couple of kids came up to me and said, "You know we just removed the blue light from our phone screens at night, and like I don't want to go on my phone anymore. You know I just wow. I want to fall asleep. And it's like, you know, how much is blue light toxicity impacting like neurochemistry in a young brain?" you know, in adults, it's quite clear that it's suppressing melatonin, um, like chief functions within cells and mitochondria are breaking down, it's leading to chronic disease, it's leading to, you know, um, fatigue, it's leading to mood regulation issues, focus, attention, cognition. But like in children, it's stimulating them so much, like more appears than even in adults. And it's, um, it's really shocking and scary to see. And at the same time, it was like, so enchanting to hear children and i still get messages now i had a few on uh, instagram the other day um from young guys saying that you know they took part in the study and they want to know more and have i got more resources and they still wear their glasses every night and all these sorts of things and I, and I love to hear it because unlike adults um you know anybody here who's been an adult or been coached or is a coach will know that we've become fairly entrenched in our patterns of behavior you know, and a lot of adults I work with in the sleep space, they say, you know, I've always done it this way, or you know, this is me. You can't change me. I've I've always slept for six hours for the last decade, and you know, we we develop all these really strong narratives about who we are and what we're capable of. Um, if you tell a child, you know, you wear this pair of blue light blocking glasses, you'll sleep better. You wake up tomorrow, you'll feel better, and they do it. They continue doing it. Um, and I've had lots of lots of circumstances where you know I've had uh, teenagers telling me that they're you know, encouraging their parents to now wear their blue and glasses because they're saying, you know, mom and dad, why wouldn't you do this? It's, you know, right. it's obvious. Yeah. You know, why why wouldn't you wear these things? And I think that's really encouraging because at the end of the day, um, people, children in their youth, you know, they just want to experience a high quality of life. They want to be happy. They want to be curious because they haven't had that beaten out of them um, by yeah. decades of, you know, technology use.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's really it's really shocking to me the the culture that has evolved around around these devices. And you know, um, and my when my son got his phone, like he has to you know leave it downstairs after a certain time. And like I come down in the morning and I look at it, and it's yeah, it's filled with Snapchat messages that I gave it at all hours of the night, right? And it's like as parents, I think we really need to be mindful that that is not something that should be, uh, unregulated in a child's bedroom all night. Like it just, you know, I, as much as I don't like to scare people or, uh, fear monger or anything like that, you got to get the phone out of their beds, out of their bedrooms, like just get it out, I, whatever it takes, bribe them. I don't, care. <laughs> <laughs> it's, 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 uh, yeah, it's, you're going to explain to us some of the damage that it's doing okay so you um created uh created this this foundation and you created a partnership with the schools um in guernsey and did did the study dividing up the children some had the blue blockers some had education some had both and so let's talk about what you found with the children who started wearing blue blocking glasses in the evenings. And I just want to also quickly say um, I don't I don't know why, but there is quite a lot of uh, noise out there about blue blocking glasses being a gimmick and not working, Um, which I find interesting because it's. It's very easy to test if they work, right? It's a physical barrier. If it blocks a certain frequency of light, then it's blocking the light. Um, But I just want to say that for people who've seen things floating around, there's a bunch of research floating around that was done on very poor quality blue blockers that actually doesn't block the light that's necessary. And that research was then used to say that blue blocking glasses don't work. So... Anecdotally, everybody I know who's tried them has seen a benefit almost immediately. So what I think what you're doing is really important because you have high quality blue blockers from Viva Rays that that do what they're supposed to do. And what did you find when the kids started using them?
1: Yeah. So before I tell you about the findings, I think it's interesting to to bring up a couple of the points you said there, because I've had this conversation with a lot of optometrists locally. Um, Actually, Mm -hmm. one of the biggest uh, optometrists in the United Kingdom called Specsavers, one of the biggest organizations, they're based in Guernsey locally. And when I went out to the press to release the information about running our study, um, they prepared a a counter statement, you could call it. They prepared a comment that they were going to leave in the local newspaper saying that, you know, blue light, blocking glasses, the Royal College of Ophthalmology has demonstrated that there's no evidence behind them, and um, which is the blanket statement of um, people in the United Kingdom will know Boots is a big high street retailer, an optometrist, mm-hmm. spec savers, you know, all of these sorts of people. And they're going off the, the Royal College of Ophthalmology's um, systematic review of the available evidence. But, you know, I had to very quickly remind them what we're talking about completely different glasses because yes. you know what you're discussing is uh, what we might refer to as screen glasses or blue mm-hmm. light blocking glasses for the daytime and again depending on the um the the lens and the technology that's used in the lens it can block you know anywhere from 0 to 100% and it can block different nanometer wavelengths of blue light and so you really need to know what you're talking about um and you know you need to be going with like reputable incredible brands which is you know one of the reasons that we worked with viva You know, their technology is um pretty incredible some of the best glasses that i've seen um and yeah they immediately withdrew their statement funny enough from the from the media they they? were about about to put in because obviously they weren't talking about the same pair of glasses Um, and we're we're having interesting you know conversations with them now moving forward but one of the things i think that um, really rattles me a little bit is um that in science we're always looking for the double um You know, blinded placebo controlled, randomized Mm -hmm. controlled trial. And sometimes that's just not possible or practical. And these trials cost, you know, sometimes hundreds of thousands, if not millions of pounds to conduct. And our study, for example, we had a control group in the form of the waitlist group. So it's an open level waitlist study where we try and create a control group whereby, you know, someone doesn't receive the intervention versus other groups that do, as opposed to giving a fake pair of glasses. Because initially, when I went to the, the ethics committee in Guernsey um, and discussed wanting to do this trial, um, you know, the, the advice of um, one of my mentors who's in, in the background, I can't uh, mention his name at the minute, but he said to me, you know, in ideal world, you'd want to give a pair of sham glasses, you know, you'd want to give a pair of blue light glasses that don't do anything. But of course, it's very difficult to give someone a pair of glasses with gray lens and them not understand that they've got the, you know, um, placebo here. So it's a bit of a um, bit of a nightmare. Um, But there are studies out there, um, I I believe, like um, of high enough, you know, um, control and like uh, replicability that demonstrate that blue light blocking glasses have had benefits in, um, you know, groups of, um, undergraduate students, um, in, mm-hmm. uh, patients with bipolar and mania, um, mm-hmm. in a uh, general population of workers and such like that. And so we just wanted to add to the evidence base. Um, because when you start to take together, like, you know, all of these different types of studies and start to look at the, you know, the global impacts of it. And there was a, a systematic uh, review that was published um, I don't know if I can tell you right now maybe we should put it in the show notes actually because um, it's a really powerful um, review but it was published here you go it's the evening Wear of blue light blocking glasses for sleep and mood disorders a systematic review it was published in uh, 2021 Um, and they said you know the summary of the abstract was given the well established biological mechanisms and clinical research showing that blue light blocking glasses are effective for inducing sleep because we know of their ability to protect the release of melatonin and the pineal gland, they are viable intervention to recommend to patients, you know, with insomnia and other related sleep issues. So we know that there's evidence out there just because it's not the highest quality evidence mm-hmm. that, you know, certain bodies such as the Royal College of Ophthalmology will completely ignore it. So that right. is a, a, bit a, a bit of a challenge. And then to speak to like what we found so um, number one, what do we measure? So we we completed something called a sleep disturbance questionnaire. So it's a very simple questionnaire. Um, again, in an ideal world, we would have loved to connect people up with actigraphy, which is like activity monitors. We'd have loved to have given them aura rings or, you know, okay. connected them up to... Um, you know, electroencephalograms in and, and laboratories and all these other things, but the reality of, is in field work and in field studies, you can't afford those sorts of things, especially when you're a fledgling yeah. charity. So, you know, with the support of VRA's and some of our local uh, corporate sponsors, we managed to get blue light blocking glasses. You know, yeah. um, and we went out and we said, okay, we'll do some questionnaires and we'll do them before and afterwards. So we'll do them at intervals of two weeks. So we'll do them at week zero, weeks two and weeks four. So over a four-week period, we'll have three time measurements, what happened before the intervention, what happened midway through, and what happened at the end. And inside these questionnaires, um, you know, the, the subcategorization of the questions related to um, sleep quality, sleep consistency, um, levels of stress and anxiety before bedtime, and levels of alertness uh, the next day. So within each of those subcategories, there was other questions, but they all basically fed into those subcategories for us to get an understanding of those four kind of areas. Um, And what was really interesting, I think, to begin with is the data showed that actually like sleep scores were quite low. Um, So like if uh, one was very poor, two was poor, three was fair four was good and five was very good on the zero to five scaling for each of these questions, mm-hmm. the averages were coming in at just under a three or just over a three. So the majority of people were saying they were yeah. you know, sleeping fairly. Um, and I think that's really interesting because you know what we obviously picked up, although I can't 100% confirm this, is a subsection of people who are motivated to participate in the study. Now yeah. that suggests that number one, it might be people who had sleep issues. Right. Um, but, but number two, we might also be missing all the people that had sleep issues because they're not interested in complying with the study or, you know, they're right. not motivated yeah. to do so, or they didn't turn up to school on the days when I provided the education. So all of their data was excluded and such like that. So we can't be sure about that, but we saw that, um, you know, stats were quite low. they were a little bit lower okay. also for girls than they were for boys. Interestingly. Interesting. Enough.
0: And how, how old are these children?
1: So these children ranged from, um, so we did years 10, which would have been, yeah, 14 all the way up to 18, but the okay. majority of them would have been 14, 15, and 16 years old.
0: Okay. So we're looking at teenagers and the research that you got back showed that their their baseline coming into the study was that they weren't sleeping very well.
1: Yeah. Um, So then what we did was we repeated those questionnaires after two weeks and then again after four weeks. Now, um, what we found out through field research is that um, logistically it's a nightmare to try and... um, get uh you know five six different schools to collaborate and all send questionnaires out correctly at the right times and not forget to send certain questionnaires out and you know that oh one school had an outbreak of covid during the fourth questionnaire so we didn't get any data back from them and things like that but we we have a really really strong data set from um day zero to 14 and then we have some interesting data for our second follow-up so from zero day zero to 14 this mm-hmm. is, is pretty much what we saw we saw um in some of the subcategories, we actually saw a decrease in sleep quality in the control group. so in the waitlist group. So everything averagely okay. stayed about the same, but some of the subcategories actually decreased for the control group. So no change to their sleep as you you might expect from a group that didn't get any intervention, right? right.
0: And just okay. for
1: for ethical reasons, I will say that the whole point of the waitlist study is that, Whichever intervention the group didn't get during the active period of the study, mm-hmm. they, they all received after the study was over. So the okay. the, the children in that case did get their blue light blocking glasses at some point. Okay. Good. Um. So so no change in the control group, and um, we saw a modest increase in sleep um, of about. Uh, 0.5, which doesn't mean a lot to you, but it was about a half a category movement, um, in the sleep education only group. So we gotta okay. bear in mind that you know this was just two lessons where we explained a little bit about circadian rhythms, about going out in the morning, about limiting light exposure in the evening, about maybe eating you know a little bit earlier, about curtailing caffeine use, and we taught them like a breathing technique to help them to to regulate themselves in the evening. Um, so okay. we saw. We so saw, they got
0: the information, but not but not the glasses. Not the. They got intervention. the information, not okay. the glasses,
1: um, and so they've
0: improved marginally.
1: So like, their sleep improved marginally. But it, it
0: went in the improvement direction.
1: Yep. So um, okay. we we had we've run some um, t testing. Now I'm not a statistical genius by any means, but we've had someone helping us with the data. We run some t tests, and we did see a, a statistically significant improvement in their sleep. So that just is from the education, just from the education, just for them being
0: like, oh, maybe I'll put my phone away a little earlier, or oh, maybe I won't have a 10 p.m. snack, or
1: yeah maybe I won't okay. drink that uh red bull or monster energy or I don't know what it is now that all the streamers on Twitch uh trying right. to kids prime yeah. water or whatever it is yeah you know, maybe maybe I won't have that at seven or eight pm at night um right. so obviously these these are fundamental uh like habits that you know children should be taught in terms of sleep anyway without yeah. you know the use of blue light blocking glasses so as you might expect we saw an improvement there um what i should say as well is that um the smallest two groups so those were the smallest two groups the mm-hmm. control group um was about about 20 people um the the education only group was about 20 people mm-hmm. and then the numbers jump up a lot for the for the other groups so we had the blue light blocking glasses only group um we saw like uh, over double the improvement that we saw in the sleep education group alone, they jumped up from wow. about an average of say three to like almost an average of three point eight. So wow. their, their their scores improved a lot just from blue light glasses alone. I mean, we didn't provide any other education whatsoever. Right, you're just like like here. The and glasses. what were the
0: instructions?
1: The instructions were wear these glasses for three hours before bedtime. Okay. You know, in an ideal world, I would have loved to have gone into the depths of, oh, you know, well you should wear them approaching sunset if you're inside yeah, yeah. in front of no. technology and all this. But to standardize yeah. what we delivered to... So, uh, yeah, you got to keep, keep it simple. And also these are
0: these are teenagers. So. <laughs> I have a few of those. They don't hold a whole, a lot of instructions in their head at one time.
1: (laughs) Definitely, and you know, in terms of our ability to like standardize uh, the information from the point of view of perhaps wanting to like publish this as research in the future, um, Mm -hmm. you know, we had to we had to do that, and and I was advised to do that, and then um, in the combined group, we provided the blue light blocking glasses with the education, so we put both of them together, and we saw um an improvement beyond what we saw with just the blue light blocking glasses alone. So um oh, it yeah. wasn't as much of a jump from the education to the blue light blocking glasses mm-hmm. when you combine them but it was yeah. a bit higher so it demonstrated that actually when you provide these interventions together um you know maybe they have the the biggest impact. Um and the the blue light blocking glasses only group they were the biggest and in fact sorry if you just wait for me one second I'll tell you exactly how many people were in that group. Um but they there was a significant amount more then um then in these other smaller groups, here we go. So as you might expect when it comes to teenagers kids drop out for yeah. all sorts of reasons they didn't go into school the 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 staff member was off sick that day so he didn't send the questionnaires out properly these yeah. sorts of things so um i think we went from about 350 recruited and um, and the waitlist group had 25 the education only group had 20 their blue light blocking glasses and education had 58 final and the the blue light blocking glasses only had 108 so we lost our attrition was about a third the Mm -hmm. first questionnaire, which is what you expect in in field research. Um, And then what happened um, when we took the third data point is, um, unfortunately, the schools that had the education and the blue light blocking glasses, they um, didn't collect the data correctly. So we weren't able to use any of that data, sadly. Mm. But in the third follow-up, we saw... a sustained if not continued improvement in the blue light blocking glasses group so in fact yeah, just looking at the data here yeah so the the can the, the improvements were not only maintained but they actually yeah they, they were made better over the the second to fourth week period and that was 85 85 um, people in the, the blue light blocking glasses only group so we went from 108 at the second question at the first questionnaire after 14 days completed the follow-up and then the second uh one after that eighty-eighty-five 85 completed it so we lost only another 20 or so participants but the score actually um continued to increase and the education group um at the third questionnaire they sustained their improvements um if not actually um improved a little bit across some of the, the subcategories um, and as you might expect the the control group again kind of stayed the same so okay. what we have is like not the most robust but interesting data to demonstrate that you know the um the improvements were sustained over a period of time because that's right. one of the challenges, you know, is people say, well, it's only a two-week period. Did the kids carry on wearing the glasses? Were, you know, was it a placebo effect of, you know, taking part in the study in those two weeks? What happens later down the line? Are these effects sustained over, you know, two weeks, four weeks, a month, six weeks? And you have to be practical when you're doing research. Oh. Oh.
0: Oh hi. Sorry. Yeah, you froze.
1: And <laughs> um, where okay. did I get to?
0: So placebo. Was it a placebo?
1: Yeah. So like quite often you'll be asked, you know, was it a placebo effect? And so the the more data you can gather at follow up. And the better because the more of a sustained effect that it showed. So our goal was to, you know, collect as much data as we could at all three questionnaires. Due to some logistical reasons, we we lost quite a bit of data moving into mm-hmm. the third questionnaire. But really interestingly, we didn't lose that much of the blue light blocking glasses group. So what that yeah. really shows us is that like not only was the improvement um, you know, significant in two weeks, but it was sustained at four weeks. So really, uh, you know, where where we can go from these results now and this study is that this is the first kind of large scale field study that we've done it's shown uh significant results like statistically significant results and the trend is that there are improvements from education and from blue light blocking glasses and so now this warrants you know further investigation in our opinion of these of these things and so we're not sure whether we'll publish this um yet just because we're okay. working on a lot of other uh, kind of projects. But mm-hmm. at the moment, like this is the fuel that we feel that we needed to demonstrate um, a very powerful effect and to inform yeah. policy. And most importantly, to um, obtain uh, further kind of financial and intellectual support in, you know, where we go next.
0: Amazing. Well, that's a really, um yeah, it's it's really powerful, right? Because I think there's, as I was alluding to before, there's something about the the orange glasses that people just want to think of them as a gimmick. I have a friend who ordered a pair after having a few conversations with me and her sleep improved immediately. Uh, but her children all made fun of her. <laughs> you're like, oh mom, you're <laughs> like a marketer's dream buying anything, right? <laughs> um so yeah, I think to have to have this kind of, you know, and I know it's not robust by certain standards, but to have that many people try it and be tracked and to see a a significant improvement in, it's really, it's really incredible. I think it's really going to move the needle and that you've, you've started something really important here because it's, it is at the end of the day, a fairly simple intervention, right? Like it's a much simpler intervention than trying to get people to stop using technology at night. Like that's a, that is a a losing battle and in many ways, ways impossible.
1: Um, Yeah. And I think one of the things here to understand is that, you know, I'm from uh, the generation where I use a lot of technology. You know, I still use a lot of technology. I've learned and become empowered by the information that you guys have have taught me on the, uh, you know, applied quantum biology certification that I've learned from individuals such as Nathan and Jack Cruz and, you know, all of yourselves in the community about the impacts of technology and how it torments the body. And so, you know, I've set um, certain boundaries in place to disconnect from technology at nighttime and such like that. But like most fundamentally, we've got to understand the genie is out of the bottle. Yeah. And you know for me coming back to the reason why i started this it's like we've got many problems as a as a race on planet earth you know our future's unclear in many areas Um, and as you and I were talking about before this podcast, um, in a hundred years, everybody listening to this podcast will probably be dead, um, (laughs) but the planet will still be here and the human race will still, you know, push forward and we'll have different problems and challenges to solve and who's going to solve those challenges and who's going to solve those problems. And it's going to be the youth of today, right? So if we're not equipping the children of today with the best possible opportunities educationally and in terms of their health, you know, what do we expect the future of the planet to look like? you know, my daughter's three years old. Um, She doesn't have a choice that her iPad screen, if she looks at it in the evening is, you know, uh, red with no blue light bl- blocking coming out of it. Um, but the thing to understand is that like, I can protect her health because I can make those choices for her, but I couldn't make those choices before I was uninformed. Um, and the same with teenagers. What we've seen from these um, studies and these trials is that teenagers want to make informed choices. Yes, of course some of them won't adopt the measures that you put in place. That's going to be the the case for anybody, right? But you tend to have the early adopters and then you tend to have those people that catch on, the people who are the, in this case for the blue light blocking glasses the marketer's dream. You know, they're the mm-hmm. people who are like um, you know, the flag bearers who are, yes. you know, conquering new lands, who are exploring new ways to live and I personally you know, believe from all my research and evidence and experience, not just in clinic, but also in my own personal life, that um, a good night's sleep is the best medicine, you know, um, being um, in sync with nature, you know, having cells that function properly, that produce energy, that repair, that uh, restore, that, you know, carry out all of these important biological and physiological functions that ensure that we can grow and develop to the fullest of our potential. And that's what we're trying to do here. We're trying to, you know, intervene with some of the simplest technology you can find you know blue light blocking glasses i mean inexpensive Um, very easy to wear, easy to get out to people. Um, I would love to see in five years time, every single school in the United Kingdom and the US and everywhere else know about these and have stores of them. You know, you have kids that aren't sleeping well or kids that want to learn about them. They go up to the receptionist or, you know, I don't know what you call it, the the clerk in the school and say, you know, oh, can I have a pair of those glasses? And they're just there as a safety precaution to deal with the contraindications of the, um, you know, maladaptive lighting that we've invented and we flooded all of our schools, all of our hospitals, all of our institutions with. And I know you've been chatting to Dan Ebbett recently and him and I have been discussing, you know, many ways in which we might use lighting um to further um you know inform trials and, and such like that in the future to work with kids and families and, and schools because ultimately you know we wouldn't need blue light blocking glasses if we hadn't engineered an environment that was so blue light toxic and it was so detrimental yeah. to our health. But we've got a long, a long way to go from you know where we are now to having human centric lighting in every school and in every institution so in the mid you know section of that needs to come some form of protection and some intervention that can support people and I think blue light blocking glasses um fundamentally is one of the low-hanging fruit and the cheapest and most effective interventions that we can use um I always say to people you know in an ideal world I don't wear my blue light blocking glasses when I go camping out in nature at our families yeah. you know campsite I don't need them Um, you know, if I don't uh, work on the computer in the evening, I don't, I don't need them. I have, you know, red lighting candles around the house and such like that. But the fact is, you know, we're not in Kansas anymore, Dorothy, um, Mm -hmm. we're in the modern world and the modern world is full of, um, harmful lighting and we need to protect ourselves from it.
0: Yes. Yes. And yeah, if we just, you know, switch to candles after sunset, then yeah, there'd be no need for these things, but that's not happening. And it's definitely not happening with, with our children. Um, Okay. So just a, just a few logistical things. And then I have one last wrap up question. So uh, we'll put some links to, to blue blockers at various price points in the show notes. Um, You mentioned uh, apps that will pull the light out of uh, the iPhones and the iPads. Do you want to just tell the audience which ones you think are good?
1: Yeah, so um, I have a, a document that I created recently, actually, that might be interesting to put in the show notes. Um, I call it How to Hack Your Your PC, Your Laptop and Your Smartphone for Better Sleep. And it details the different um, programs and apps that are available to filter blue light from screens. So um, for Android, I'm a big fan of one called Twilight.
0: Mm-hmm. And there's
1: another one called Blue Light Filter. Um, Now, I don't have an Android device, but um, my friends who do and clients who do have told me that they're the best and most user-friendly apps that are available. Um, For iPhones and iPads, um, there is a manual process through which you can go in um, and activate a shortcut um, by triple-clicking the home button that completely eliminates all of the blue um, and the green light from the screen. Um, But again, there's a couple of steps to, to how to do that. And just to make it clear, it's a lot more effective to do this than to use the inbuilt um, what we would call night shift mode in the mm-hmm. Microsoft and Apple devices. I always say to people, oh, well, it, you know, in, in truth and in essence, Apple and Microsoft have, have admitted that they knew that blue light harms us now because they've kind of put these filters into the devices to reduce it a little bit. But the problem is, it's a little bit coercive because it's, I liken it to putting a filter on a cigarette. You know, Um, at some point in human history, doctors recommended cigarettes, said there was no problem with cigarettes. You know, there's periods where we said, there's no problem with blue light, there's no problem with blue light. And then we say, okay, there is. So here's a filter on that blue light, you know, built into the phone. Um, But it's the same as putting the filter on the cigarette, right? It doesn't take away all of the the chemicals or all of the harm, it just filters some of them. So I often say to people, when you download the apps or, um, you know, you change, the settings on the iPhone, download the apps on the Android, or use um, Iris is my favorite uh, program for the computer. That's the equivalent of stopping smoking. Right. You know, that's completely okay. removing the blue light sources. Um, so that's what I I so recommend. So you have, to, have to hack
0: around the factory settings to really get all the. If it's something that the phone is doing automatically, it's not. It's not taking all the blue light out.
1: Yeah, it's not taking. All you all got to get out. in
0: there and download something or change the settings. Okay. Yeah. Um. And then just to wrap up, so you went, you you shared all of the research um, showing the effects, you know, across the population that participated in the study. Uh, anecdotally, what did you notice with the children or what did they, what did they say to you? Um, or were there any sort of particular story stories that stood out?
1: Yeah, there, there was one. There was, um, I went into one of the high schools and it was where the, we had the combined education and blue light blocking glasses group. And this, this kid signed up. Uh, to the study you know it was the, the, the children got called into the school hall and we gave the talk and you know they were registering for the study and you know he came up he was the last kid to come up and his mates were like kind of like jousting him like oh you know do it do it you know you should get involved and he's there thinking oh, i don't believe in this you know whatever but my my friends are doing it and so he gets involved and um i come back the next week at the end of like the next session he comes up to me after he's like they really work don't they they really do work those things and I was like <laughs> yeah yes yes they really do work and, and it's funny because um he works in like uh one of the, the supermarkets here um and I see mm-hmm. him quite regularly and every time I see him he's there like yeah man I still wear the glasses I still wear the glasses oh
0: fantastic and, um,
1: it, it's lovely because in, in a small community like this you can see the impact you know and you yeah. hear regularly about the impact that it's had and, and just having lots of parents reach out to me um you know obviously kids broke glasses kids lost glasses and you yes. know they would get back in touch with me like please I where can I get another pair of these I need them in my life now you know I've, I've never wow. slept as well or you know um that sort of thing and it, yeah it's really interesting and I think just anecdotally like by the the third education so the second education session um like I could see a change in the kids you know, wow. the first time they came in, they're asleep at their desk. They're looking at me like, this is some kooky, crazy guy who's trying to tell me about like my body clock and like light exposure and <laughs> sorts of things. And, and you, you've really, you've got to have thick skin when you work with teenagers, right? Because yeah. you walk in and like, yeah. you can be, I remember one time I was trying to give um, like a tutorial of a breathing technique um, during one of the the lessons and like the kids are sniggering in the corner and you know the kids laughing and, and you know, you're just trying to stay straight face with it. But, um, and that was the same for like a lot of the, the education they're kind of turning their noses up at it and they're not quite 100% believing you and um, but like by the second time you come in and they've used the glasses and they've made some of the changes and they all look they just look more engaged right because right. probably they're sleeping better but secondly yeah. because they're like I did something and it actually like, it actually worked wait a minute. So that's uh, that's again that's one of the reasons I love working with teenagers because um, like they just get it and then I think you know, anecdotally, again, I've had kids come up to me and tell me that they're eating better, that they become more curious about changing like their nutrition habits or exercising. Wow. And, um, it's the way I see it, you know, very maybe unscientific view is that if you can improve your sleep quality by 20% by, you know, filtering mm-hmm. blue light at night, um, and you've got 20% more energy... You have 20% more energy to give to your family, to your friends, to your hobbies, to exercise, to caring about what you eat. You know, once you start to ask questions about the light in the environment, it piques your interest and curiosity to ask other questions about how other things in the environment impact you. And I know that it did for me. You know, that was one of the biggest gifts and blessings of this is that I started to question everything when I realized that, you know, no one had told me about these things i became a, a self-starter and a self-educator and i realized that the information's out there but it's just about me going to find it so hopefully yeah. we've inspired a lot of that in the children that took part so far and hopefully a lot more will come in you know future cohorts
0: i think so yeah and it's so it's empowering it's like wow i made a different choice and now i feel differently i wonder what other different choices i can make yeah. and yeah st- starting a a ripple effect of hopefully positive change. Danielle, thank you so much for being here and thank you for doing what you do. Um, If anyone wants to uh, take a look at Danielle's foundation, it's sleepbetterlivebetter.com. Is that correct?
1: Um, So it's sleepbetterlivebetter.co.uk, but we'll stick a couple of um, things in the show notes and and we'll we'll put all the links in,
0: but if someone's driving and they just want to hear it and you're on Instagram as well. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So Daniel white health on Instagram. Okay.
0: Yeah. And so those links will all be in the notes and thank you so much for being here and thanks for doing what you do.
1: Cheers. Thank you for having me
0: this has been the quantum biology collective podcast to find a practitioner who works from this point of view visit our directory at quantumbiologycollective.org if you are a practitioner definitely check out our applied quantum biology certification to consider as part of your continuing education plan you can also just jump into our email community we'd love to hear from you again that's at quantumbiologycollective.org